to zero down from the economics department of Miranda House. In this episode, we will be talking about governance and its consequences on economic growth. So, according to the World Bank, governance is the manner in which power is exercised in the management of a country's economic and social resources for development. So, basically, it is also known as the process of making and implementing decisions and policies. So, um, who, according to you, are like the most prominent actors in governance? Well, I think it, governance differs from government in the sense that it extends beyond governmental institutions. Governments at all levels are probably the most prominent actors in facilitating governance. However, other actors can include big corporations, external bodies such as IMF or UN, and influential people at a particular level, and maybe even the participants in the government. Okay, so since governance is about making and implementing decisions, there is going to be a dichotomy between a good form of governance and a bad form of governance. So, bad form of governance is any form of governance that like excludes certain tenets of what good governance is. So, according to the World Bank document, which is called Governance in Development, which was uh, published in 1992, there are essentially four key dimensions of what good governance is. So this includes public sector management, accountability, the legal framework for development, and transparency of information. Right, exactly. And I guess surrounding this, good governance would work in two ways. Strengthening the helping hand, which is essentially building better institutions for prosperity, or weakening the grabbing hand of power, which is decreasing autocracy, reducing state failures, and externality. There exist various types of governance, global governance, market governance, environmental governance, participatory governance, etc. Governance can exist at every level of an organization and can be directed for various purposes. For this podcast, I think we'll be analyzing governance at the macro level for simplicity. Yeah, so in this podcast, we are interested in analyzing the impact of governance in the macro sense on economic growth. And we will be doing this by taking examples of governance and these examples are historical as well as very recent and seeing their outcomes on the economy. And through this analysis, we hope to obtain some common ideas that constitute the ideas of good governance. So, I think the best place to start would be India, looking at it from a historical lens and analyzing the impact of different governments and forms of governance on economic growth. Obviously, we begin from Raj Dharma and the rule of British government since 1858 and the kings during then, they acted as puppet governments for the British but they were they always abided by the ideals of social and economic service to their people for better development. Now, we move on to another turning point which was post-independence, Nehruvian socialism. Nehru had four pillars of ruling which was essentially parliamentary democracy, secularism, economic planning for establishing a welfare state and the policy of non-alignment, which essentially led to the policies of rapid industrialization and large-scale industrial development, focusing on heavy industries like steel and heavy planning using five-year plans and a lack of focus on agriculture. Non-alignment was also the reason for putting off focus on agriculture and focusing on industrialization because depending on agriculture would lead to import of industrial goods, which obviously goes against their policy of self-reliance. Then further, they also had policies of license large, which led to factors such as black market and inflation, and their effort at price controls generally failed while consuming 
much public and private attention. Further factors like the 1960s food crisis due to drought and five, only 5% of land being redistributed led to policies like MSP and the Green Revolution. Moving on to another important era would be the era of Indira Gandhi, which was characterized by heavy leftist alignment and the imposition of emergency due to political developments. During Indira Gandhi's rule, holding foreign exchange without license became an offense punishable by jail time. Further, there was great military expenditure and nationalization of 14 private banks, consolidation of power in response to political developments, rapid land distribution, and forced fertilization. You know what? In the 1970s, there was actually an eight-year waiting list for people wanting to buy a scooter. That is the middle-income people's general mode of transport. But after that, you could see a transition from the leftist alignment to a more liberalized and globalized form of government. During 1991 liberalization, under P.G. Narasimha Rao and moving on to Rajiv Gandhi, India was forced to undergo devaluation of the rupee and there was an entry of WTO and its idea of governance, prudent governance to be precise. The breakup of the Soviet Union had substantially discredited central planning and the export-led success of the East Asian countries had thrown into light the drawbacks of an inward-looking model of development. This also saw a simultaneous rise of Hindutva and cultural changes and cultural appropriation, while with liberalization, privatization and globalization uh, being the three horsemen for India's development. Yeah, and I think like the current economy, which is under the BJP rule, has been one which promises high productivity, modernization and essentially global integration of the formal sector. And this economic policy aligns with a very neoliberalist um, like form of economic policy and even form of governance. And this policy was implemented by giving the push that essentially it's going to lead to high growth rates and a steady firm fiscal deficit. However, we can see that when you push a very um, like progress-driven or economic growth-driven model, it does not necessarily benefit all sectors. So we can see like one half of the children are currently malnourished, one half of the women are illiterate, and two-thirds of the people lack even basic sanitation. And um, I think like what India is trying to do is trying to go along the lines of multi-alignment. We were trying to align with governments such as the US that is trying to appease several other governments uh, in suppose the European Union. It is its growth is focused in a very upward bracket whereby it is not necessarily benefiting the people who are below poverty line or who are below a certain level of it. Right. Now I think we can look at some other examples of government and how that affected their economy. What countries come to mind yeah, so I was essentially reading up about Vietnam and what I found interesting was that Vietnam has consistently had the same form of government, but it has had different economic outcomes despite that stability. Vietnam has a very centralized form of government, where the ruling party essentially controls all its policies, all its economic directives, etc. And starting out, so from 1997 to 2006, it had a very healthy economy. It had low inflation, it had 79% output expansion every year, and it had a very good trade deficit as well. However, what happened is it couldn't handle like the financial turmoil from 1997 to 98, where its foreign direct investments fell. 
and then again uh, between 2003 and 2005 where vietnam like fell drastically in the world economic forum's um, global competitiveness report the reason why this happened is was that there was negative perceptions about the effectiveness of the government and we can see like starting from 2006 both public and private sector firms began to experience structural problems rising inefficiency and waste of resources so uh, like i was thinking why was there a shift in outcomes even though like the centralization of the power or like the policies didn't radically change and what i found was that reforms for a lot of state owned enterprises which actually contributed to 40% of the gdp had been put off by the ruling party Moreover there was a general lack of accountability and deteriorating incentive to strengthen institutions. Vietnam also started lagging in the enforcement of property rights and couldn't enforce market reforms to greater allocation of resources. So sure the centralized power aided with development and even stability initially which may have attracted investment but the corrosion of accountability and slowdown of reforms managed to weaken the, weaken the economy in the long term. Do you have any other examples? Speaking of centralization, I think you're absolutely right. Another example that comes to mind is China. So, an article on the effect of governance quality on economic growth in China analyzed the vertical and horizontal allocation of power, rule of law, and the two-dimensional governance's impact on economic growth, and yielded the following results. Firstly, good governance exerts a significant positive effect on economic growth in China's provincial regions because good governance meant good public service, marketization and rule of law, it affects the real GDP. Secondly, the marginal effect of governance quality on economic growth is actually diminishing due to the smaller dividend from system reform as governance quality goes up, the improvement of real GDP per capita actually declines. but simultaneously a more innovation driven effect due to reform in science and tech areas resulted in high quality economic development effect and less high speed economic growth effect but the third and the fourth one were pretty interesting which said that the regional economic performance changed from province to province due to the different levels of governance quality and human capital was actually an important engine in driving provincial growth in china so certain policy suggestions arise from these points being decentralization of low local governance quality districts in improvement to clean efficient and service oriented governments accumulation of high human capital through a focus on higher education through financial aid encouragement of scientific research and a focus on scientific and technical innovation which could encourage the helping hand of power or inhibit the grabbing hand of power resulting in good economic growth and performance now due to the similar demographics in india i think these policies could be applicable to our country as well so yeah. that kind of yes do you uh, have any other studies that come to mind Uh, I actually have a group of countries that comes to mind. So uh, another very important example is actually like the 1980s Latin American debt crisis. So the reason it is interesting is because the lapse in governance occurred on two levels. One was by the government of the country itself, and the second was by an external agent, which is the IMF, which essentially set very poor guidelines for debt reductions. So the way it panned out was there was like excessive borrowing by the Latin American countries, which had built up huge debts. And then because they had huge debts, essentially the IMF had to intervene and they provide loans, um, take money for loans and they like um, restructure their debt, etc. 
However, in return, like um, IMF did in India as well, they forced Latin America to make reforms that would favor free market capitalism and had to move away from its system of state-led industrialization. However, what happened is that this reform backfired completely. It aggravated poverty and unemployment, inequalities rose, and because the government reduced its spending to like cut down deficits, it weakened institutions for health and social security. And this decade, like the 1980s to 1990s, is called like the lost decade because there was so much um, economic downturn. People were impacted negatively. And one more interesting thing I uh, learned was that because the IMF did such a bad job of enforcing quote unquote good governance, uh, Brazilian officials had like a debt negotiation meeting where they decided to never sign agreements with the IMF. And I think Ooh. one more. One more lesson you can see actually is that promotion of competitive markets and like liberalization, globalization works in some cases to a relative extent, like in India, but it doesn't work in all cases. And I think that shows that there's no like one size fits all solution that you enforce this to get good governance. Yeah, I think a good way to analyze governance further is to actually see how governance panned out in the COVID-19 pandemic because um. The COVID-19 pandemic revealed like a lot of flaws in our institutions and it showed how competent our governments actually were. And I think we can see the impact of, like the immediate impact of governance on certain economic indicators. What do you think was the impact of COVID and its management on our economy? Right. I think um, the government did an overall blunder in managing COVID across the country with its like decisions as well as lack of enforcement of rules and regulations. But I really want to take a specific case, which is Rajasthan, because that, uh, this Rajasthan did really well in managing COVID for itself. The first wave, it was extremely hit, and the district called Bilwara was drowning in cases. So they followed something called the Bil- Bilwara model, which essentially involved intense con- contact tracing district lockdown, apps to monitor home quarantine conditions and tracking to GIS and nearly having nearly 850 teams doing house-to-house survey. And that really worked in its favor and was able to be implemented in other districts as well. Now, the, when the second wave hit Rajasthan, it showed an impressively low positive rate of 2.12% as compared to other states. It was actually among the least affected states by COVID. An extensive survey of the population door-to-door checking, ensuring enforcement of 14-day mandatory quarantine period and contact tracing system with migrants really helped Rajasthan crack down on the cases within the state. So, this preemptive action and strengthening of healthcare while building a strong network of grassroots-level health workers and encouraging the private sector to democratize their services during earlier tenures really speaks great volumes to how efficient governance can be when it's not short-sighted and there is proper planning and understanding of its demographics and its people for whom the social and economic development is meant. Yeah, I agree. So I thought like a good way to see the direct impact of governance and like decisions taken by the government on the economy would be to see certain economic indicators and how they were affected. So starting from the case of India, the way you mentioned the Bilwara model, I think it's a great model that could have been adopted India-wide. 
However, we see that generally in India, the COVID pandemic was not dealt with very well and there was essentially lapses in governance. So India's GDP infamously dropped by 24.4% from April to June 2020 and the overall decrease in 2020 to 21 was 7.3%. So obviously the fall in GDP was expected because it was the economic recession worldwide. But the extent of the fall was completely unprecedented. India's GDP contraction was much higher than the world average at large. And to actually compare it with other developing nations, they only had an average contraction of 2.2%. Whereas, as I said, India had a 7.3% contraction. And wow. India actually performed worse than other developing nations on several indicators. So, unemployment rate and consumer demand. And the number of poor in India is expected to have doubled and the middle class is said to have fallen by one third. And a very like obvious catalyst for this was poor governance. So a good example of poor governance and impact on the economy is the lockdown that was imposed from March to April 2020. And it is said to have caused incomes to drop by 40%, just that first initial lockdown. And I think another example is that government expenditure simply did not step up to counter like falling prices. So, like, do you know any other examples of where the economies have been saved or they have been down because of governance? I think like the first country that comes to mind is US. US is pretty uncomparable when it comes to developing countries, but it does serve as a good yardstick for governance, at least during the pandemic. While not all was rosy for the U.S. economy, some forecasters like the IMF have already assumed that the U.S. GDP is likely to actually rise above the level expected before the pandemic. Apparently, it's been successful in controlling the scarring that economists feared at the beginning of the pandemic through their policies. In 2020, GDP contracted by only 3.5%. This reactiveness of the government can be seen by the quick rebound of economic activity. The economy contracted at a post-depression record of 31.4% in the second quarter and then rebounded again to 33.4% gain in the following three months. Now, personal consumption and private domestic investment and government spending increased. And unemployment is also on the trend of a steady decline. But why is it so and what can we learn from it? The U.S. government actually had one of the most elaborate relief packages in the world. It actually had a pandemic playbook for the, to which the government could refer to. And aid was also given in the form of unemployment checks, child assistance, child tax assistance, stimulus checks, for food stamps and tax assistance programs. The Trump administration enacted CARES Act while the Biden administration released the Biden American Rescue Plan. Yeah, I think another example where um, economic aid was provided but also there was very good COVID management in general was South Korea. Korea had one of the lowest reported COVID cases in the world while it also had one of the lowest GDP contractions with the pandemic. So, Korea's economic contraction in 2020 was smaller than most advanced economies, and its GDP fell by only 1%. And what was interesting about this is that this is the first time that the GDP has contracted for Korea in 22 years. So, it has clearly had consistently good governance. And um, so the consumption and employment are still below the pre-COVID levels, but they're steadily improving. The financial sector um, showed very little impact because of the pandemic. And the outlook is for a recovery in 2021, where real GDP is expected to grow by 3.6%. 
and there is supposed to be a gradual normalization of covid related factors and a very strong external demand so the reason this happened was that korea had very intensive testing tracing and treatment plan which was not only customized from region to region but was also based on the severity of the case of covid Furthermore, it provides credit for businesses on a fiscal strategy to help affected workers and businesses, and it ensured that it stabilized the financial market. Oh wow, that's super interesting. Another interesting fact for you: the World Economic Forum's Global Social Mobility Report in India said in India it would take seven generations for a member of a poor family to achieve average income, whereas in Denmark it would take just two generations to do so. I think the structural weakness seems pretty consistent in India, pandemic or not. So yes. let's get to some conclusions that we can derive based on our discussion. I think it's clear that governance is successful if it can strengthen institutions. So we can see in countries such as Korea or even China that have very strong health and tracing machinery manage to minimize the impact of COVID on the people. So, for example, we can see. Uh, in US, the strengthening of social security uh, mechanisms greatly benefited the people, and this benefit of the people had an impact on the economy, which is seen to be thriving. Um, but beyond institutions, I think it's very important that governance is responsive to the needs of the people. That is to say, that the institutions that you strengthen should actually um, like take care of the needs of the people, should be personalized, and should actually take into account like certain historical events, and should take into account the lessons. the past so we can also see one more trend and that is that centralization of power in the long term tends to lead to worse governance so we saw that in vietnam we can see that even in india where we can see that centralization of power where which is not checked by accountability for the institution leads to weakening of the economy and reduces the impact that that governance has on the welfare of the people centralization also sometimes leads to policies being myopic and it also ensures that they cannot be implemented at a very atomic level so there is a need to like strengthen local communities and build up communities in a way that can enforce the policy and this policy should once again be responsive to the demographics of the people so a good example for building up community networks is even in countries like senegal where they had a lack of resources and they didn't have strong hospital mechanisms but they essentially built like chains of solidarity within the community whereby community members encouraged each other to wear masks wash hands and since these were people you knew you were more likely to trust them and another interesting fact was that even religious leaders joined in to essentially spread um, information that you should follow protocol or now it is the, the narrative that you should get vaccinated absolutely like sounds like they had a great sense of community and good governance actually in Is for the people and should not be short-sighted at all. But I think one more interesting lesson I think we learned is that good governance is not a homogeneous and well-defined concept. It's actually fluid depending on the needs and the resources of the country, as we saw. It probably would have been a bad idea for India to spend as much as the US, and it may have been difficult for India to set up facing systems like China and Korea. India had to develop control mechanisms and institutions that best suited its demographics, and I think it's safe to say that this wasn't initiated. The lockdown imposed by India in March 2020 was deemed by several experts as ineffective, and it caused a mass exodus of migrant workers. This ad hoc decision taken didn't aid in the management of COVID and even caused 
supply side disruptions. Now, lockdowns had to be initiated, taking into account the people impacted and the consequences. And that speaks true to the fact that once you're uh, formulating your model of governance, you really have to take in the factors such as ideals, your demographics, your form of government. Government. So, I think a good analogy would be to characterize government as a tree in the sense that the trunk symbolizes basic governance and the basic factors that lead to having a good governance model and the branches symbolizing the different routes that each country can take depending on the various factors that lead its society and ideals. So yeah, that's actually a very good analogy. And one more like additional theme that I noticed was um Korea actually had to deal with like the MERS outbreak very recently and Senegal had to deal with the Ebola outbreak. And since it had like in recent times had to deal with a pandemic or epidemic like situation, they had actually built up mechanisms to respond to this. So Korea had like increased its budget for disaster management and in Senegal like the people were aware of the protocols and they were very uh responsive when they heard about the COVID pandemic. I think that just teaches us that you need to take lessons from the past to improve your governance. Like governance can't be made in the dark. You essentially need to take all these historical precedents into account. And like as we can see from like the 2021 budget of India, it hasn't like stepped up its expenditure for essential services. It hasn't necessarily strengthened mechanisms such as hospitals, etc. So I think like India definitely needs to take the lesson of learning from the past because it is such a simple lesson at face value. However, India is clearly not implementing it. So for India, a good place to start improving its governance would be to act on improving those systems whose weaknesses were revealed to the pandemic. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think uh, Brazil embodied this lesson as well when they agreed never to sign uh, a debt agreement with IMF from their horrible experience. Coming to the end, based on the research work done, governance and economic growth obviously have shown a positive correlation. In fact, in the long term, good governance has had greater growth in economic development than economic growth. It is positively correlated to human indicators as well. What can we learn about India and what changes need to make? Right. I think coming to India, as, Rag- as Raghuram Rajan said, while there are strong institutional forums in place, which is absolutely essential for a good governance model, they are slowly being compromised due to extreme centralization of governance, abhorrence of criticism, distaste for experts, and a resounding echo chamber, which is obviously seen through the recent epidemic. Yeah, I think India largely like ignored experts, and it also was like... um in a phase of triumphalism whereby it thought it had conquered COVID before the second wave hit. And I think that's a good example of a completely non-responsive, unaccountable form of governance. And um, actually some critics like Ramchandra Guha have gone as far as to say that most actions of this government are marked by a combination of incompetence and authority. Uh, what do you think about that? So, wow, that is a bold statement, but I think we as students have to keep the hope that this mammoth of a country will soon be on the path to branch out into better governance, supplemented by proper implementation, leading to hopefully prosperous economic development and not just I completely agree with you.
and since we have already established the certain tenets of what good governance is, I think it's safe to say that India does have the power to improve. It just needs the will to do it. Absolutely. Thank you Thank for you. listening to our podcast. We hope you went away learning something.